Well, if you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel, chapter 17. We'll just look at one verse there this morning, verse 3. It's also printed in the bulletin on the next page. If you need that, um, John 17, 3. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, help us now by the power of your spirit as we consider these wonderful words spoken to you in prayer by your son. Help, um, Help this word to shape our lives thoroughly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, uh, as you may have noticed, this was not from Matthew's gospel, uh, even though we've um, only really done one sermon from our series in Matthew lately. Uh, I promise we are still in that series. Um, We're just taking another little break here uh, uh, because uh, later today, Charlie Shaw, uh, who you know, he's preached here several times. uh, He is... um, He's being installed as the senior pastor at Hope. Uh, it's a Presbyterian church in Portland, sister church of ours in the PCA. He's being installed there. And so he asked me to preach at that service. And uh, it made sense to me just to prepare one sermon for the weekend uh, instead of two, uh, two different ones. So I, I prepared one for that service and uh, testing it out on you. So um, Charlie and I uh, are really good friends uh, and uh, we're in substantial agreement uh, about um, a philosophy of ministry, like what it looks like to do ministry, what ministry really is, uh, to serve the church and for the church to do its ministry. Um, uh, we're in substantial agreement about philosophy of ministry, and so he suggested I preach on that in some way at that service this afternoon. Uh, in one sense, that makes it pretty easy since our shared philosophy of ministry is basically talk about Jesus. That's what we do, and um, so I just had to find a scripture to preach that was about that, which is fairly easy when you think about the scriptures. But uh, I couldn't help but think about this verse. It's probably, uh, I mean, I don't know how to rate favorite verses in the scriptures, but it's one of them for me. So uh, John seventeen three. these are the very words of Jesus himself, uh, words that are spoken in prayer to his father. This, uh, it's, he's praying the most important prayers for his people at this point in John's gospel here this point in his life, uh, the high priestly prayer, the night before his sacrifice. John 17, go home and read it. It's wonderful. Um, Leslie Newbigin uh, is a commentator on John's gospel uh, and author of uh, several good books. Uh, He says that um, the, the prayer here that we find in John 17, the prayer leads us into the very heart and ministry, uh, the very heart of the ministry and message of Jesus. So we imagine if it's the heart of Jesus' ministry and message, um, it would be the heart of our ministry and message if we're uh, going to learn our ministry and message from him. So philosophy of ministry, I think this is good. This is a good place to go. You cannot find more profound words recorded in the scriptures. Uh, these words truly govern every aspect of our life as uh, Christians in the church. So that's what we'll talk about. We should, we should all reflect on these words. Even just this one little verse. We should all reflect on these words for the rest of our lives. We could easily spend our whole lives in wonder at just at the sheer reality of who it is who's saying these words, who it is who's lifting up this prayer, lifting up his eyes to heaven and praying these words. In fact, you should do that. Uh, You should spend your lifetime considering the one who prays these words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being of one substance with the Father, very God of very God, 
the true God, the eternal God, the only God, the whole God, Jesus, in the flesh, God having become truly and perfectly human. That's who's praying. He's praying to God the Father, the true God, the eternal God, the only God, the whole God. So consider the relationship between the Father and the Son, the the relationship between the Father and the incarnate Son that has been opened up to us, not just for us to behold as from a distance, but to participate in through the Spirit. That relationship between Father and Son is what is open to us as believers for our participation through the Spirit. In fact, uh, you're doing that. You're spending your whole lifetime in wonder, which is something we should all do, uh, considering God, considering Jesus. That's essentially the answer to this, this verse as part of, God's, uh, of, of Jesus' high priestly prayer. This is the definition of eternal life itself. He says, this is eternal life that they know you the only true God, that they know Jesus, whom you've sent. So eternal life in the Bible, uh, it's not something so basic and simple and mundane and and physical as your heart continuing to beat forever without stopping and uh, electrical impulses firing in your brain properly forever without stopping, right? Um, Jesus defines eternal life by its spiritual nature. Its, Its essence is knowing God. That's what eternal life is. The essence of eternal life is knowing God relationally. Someone who doesn't know Jesus is is dead to God, dead spiritually. That's what the scriptures say. Even if their heart is still beating, even if their heart were to continue beating forever without stopping, someone who doesn't know God is dead to God. That's what death is in the scriptures. In the Bible, true death is being severed from God, and true life is being in a relationship with God that lasts forever, where you know him relationally. That relationship, that life, begins now, right? Eternal life isn't just something out there in the future, something that's going to happen to you after you die. Eternal life begins now because it's a relationship. But, but it carries on forever, carries on forever into the future, never-ending, because of what it really is, because of the true nature of it. Because this life consists of being in a relationship with the God who is the ever-living God, then, uh, then it's a life that will last as long as God lives, which is forever, never-ending. So, but Jesus isn't focusing here on the duration of eternal life. That's something we tend to focus on when we use that language, eternal life. Uh, he's focusing on the nature, not the duration, the nature of eternal life. He says that eternal life consists of knowing God and knowing Jesus. Uh, this is what eternal life means for God himself. This is not just what human eternal life is. This is divine eternal life. The divine glorious life of the triune God is one of mutual knowing. The Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father in the mutual knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And this is what God has intended for us by creating us in his own image. His eternal life he is meant to share with us. So Thomas Aquinas said, uh, this wonderful quote from him that uh, is there, I think, yeah, in the bulletin. Uh, the purpose and the fruit of our whole life is the knowledge of the Trinity in unity. Purpose and fruit of our whole life. It's not just the knowledge of the doctrine of the Trinity in abstraction, so you can get an A on your theology exam. It's the knowledge of God in unity, in union with God. 
So in the Bible, this language of knowing uh, usually is used, it's, it's profoundly personal, it's relational, it's intimate language, right? It's not like knowing technical information that you read in an operator's manual. It's like a husband knowing his wife on their wedding night when they become intimately familiar with one another. That's what it means to, to know someone in the scripture and to know God. It's the same thing, to know him in unity. It's, it's knowledge of another person that is captivated, it's absorbed, it's fascinated by the wonders of who that person is and exploring that and growing and deepening in that knowledge. Right? So maybe it seems impossible to you that God would be so interesting, that Jesus would be so interesting that you could spend the rest of your life and eternity simply delighting to know him. Maybe you thought it was a bit of a joke when I said earlier, you should just consider who this is for the rest of your life. So let me just ask you, do you think God is boring? Uh, Or let me put it another way, do you think God is bored? Do you think that the persons of God are bored with knowing each other? Do you think maybe that's why God created the universe, is to have something else to think about, because he was bored all, with all the mutual knowing of divine persons, right? Father and the Son knowing each other is not enough. We need something else to distract us, I guess. Is that, is that your conception of God and of his creation? No, as, the, as, as interesting as the universe is that he has created, <clears throat> all the particles and all the places, all the supernovas and all the sand made of seashells on the seashore, The laws of physics, the nature of the elements, all the birds who fly just through gases, the monsters in the hidden depths of the oceans, the bright corners of the cosmos we'd never see in a million years. As interesting as all of it is, all of creation, all of it together, is not as interesting as the one true God who made it. Everything he made and everything that happens, it only affords an opportunity to know him and to enjoy him. And it should never be used to distract ourselves from him because we're bored with him. Um, So, for an illustration, let's just say uh, you're married to, say your husband is. Let's just say you're all married women for a minute. Um, Your husband is the architect who designed the Louvre. You know, that really famous and wonderful uh, museum in Paris, where all the greatest artwork from the world is gathered. Let's just say he's the architect who des- designed the Louvre. And not only that, not only the architect, he's the head curator. Curator of all the museum's art. He's the one who's traveled the world to collect the finest pieces. Uh, and not only that, he is the centrally featured artist with a grand exhibit of his own. Imagine visiting the Louvre, taking a few days, because that's how long it takes to do it properly. Uh, imagine doing that without giving a single thought to your spouse. Uh, The one whose imagination brought all of that together from the ground up. Imagine not giving a single thought to him, even though it's his voice on the guided tour headset thing. Even though you're in his presence, walking on his arm, not giving a single thought to him. You never care to learn from him what makes him who he is, how he could possibly be so creative and energetic and powerful, why he would do the great works that he does, because thinking about him, that's just well boring, you know, like... I've got things to see here. I don't want to think about my boring husband, right? What a strange thing for you to think, since he's your husband. That isn't a problem with him actually being boring. That's a problem with your lack of interest in him. That's a problem with your lack of appreciation, your lack of love for him, right? Because he's not boring. Uh, Have you ever seen uh, any of those Dos Equis commercials 
the most interesting man in the world. I love those commercials. Uh, you can just watch them for hours on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, where the, the narrator says in this gravelly voice about the most interesting man in the world, years ago he built a city out of blocks. Today over 600,000 people live and work there. <laughs> or his beard alone has experienced more than a lesser man's entire body. Or even his enemies list him as their emergency contact number. <laughs> or, <laughs> or people hang on his every word, even the prepositions. He can speak French in Russian. Uh, all, all things that exist, visible, invisible, whatever, they came from the mind of God. He's the one who had all these ideas from the beginning because of who he is. He invented French and Russian. He invented the idea of language himself. It comes from who he is. He is the word, the God who speaks. He imagined up all the ideas of all the people who speak all the languages. That idea came from who he is. He's persons in relationship. He's the word. People do hang on his every word, even the prepositions, even the prepositions. Knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he sent is the most magnificent thing imaginable. It is the very essence of eternal life. It's the gift that cost Jesus his life to give to his people. So J.I. Packer said, what, what is the best thing in life? Bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God knowledge of God. So Jesus is saying that knowing God relationally as the Holy Trinity, this is what life is. It's what it's all about. It's the definition and it's glorious. So it should govern every aspect of our life as Christians in the church. We are here to live our eternal life now, not just to prepare for it in the future and look forward to it in the future, but to live it now. We are here to live this eternal life that Jesus holds forth for us. This means that knowing God and knowing Jesus, whom God has sent, should be at the heart of everything we do. It isn't just one aspect of living eternal life together in the church, as if knowing God relationally were only something that happened, you know, when you sit down to consider the scriptures. Uh, everything we do, everything, is an opportunity for knowing Jesus uh, maybe it's more obvious when it comes to something like you know, proclaiming God's word, considering God's word, missions work, evangelistic uh, conversations, preaching and teaching, and Bible studies. And yeah, we understand that these things have to do with knowing Jesus. These more you know, intellectual aspects of the, the life of the mind in our relationship with God, they have to do with knowing Jesus. If you say you want someone to have eternal life, you're saying you want them to come to know Jesus. We understand that. To know God relationally through faith in Jesus. Yes, we want to learn about Jesus. We want to come to know him personally and more and more deeply, and we want to teach others about him. <clears throat> That's how Paul talks about his own ministry of teaching. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? That's all he wants to talk about. And he actually doesn't even say, I decided to talk about nothing among you except Jesus. I decided to teach nothing except Jesus. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus. So even when you're teaching others about knowing Jesus, it's an opportunity for you to know, to know Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to know him at, in his sentness, in his crucifixion, in his sacrifice that makes known the love of God for us. This is participation in eternal life, according to Jesus. So is prayer, you know? That makes sense. When we pray, especially when we pray together, we are knowing God corporately, Especially when we're together in the church, 
We're knowing God in that personal, intimate way, not in just academic, abstract ways. But this definition of eternal life given by Jesus himself really extends to everything in our lives. It extends to everything. Our community together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Our celebration of things like birth and baptism and uh, weddings in the church. These are opportunities for knowing Jesus. Being called to show hospitality is an opportunity to know Jesus. Being called to love brothers and sisters who disagree with us is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Being called to forgive those who hurt us is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Being called to grieve death of the saints and to weep with those who weep is an opportunity for knowing Jesus. Our generosity, our service, our mercy, our justice, these are opportunities for knowing Jesus. Our suffering is an opportunity for knowing Jesus intimately, intimately. These things are nothing if they're not opportunities for knowing Jesus. If your hospitality or your forgiveness or your deeds of compassion or your suffering, if they're not opportunities for knowing God, for knowing Jesus, then they're not features of eternal life. Then, then what are they? I mean, if, they're, if these are just things anyone can do apart from a relationship with Jesus, anybody can be hospitable. Anybody can serve apart from a relationship with Jesus. Well, if, if that's what they are, they're not uniquely Christian. You don't have to be a part of the church in order to do all kinds of religious things like this. The eternal life that we enjoy means that everything we do is a participation in our relationship with God. Everything is done for the sake of knowing Jesus. God, in his sovereign providence, is arranging all things in your life for the sake of your knowing God and knowing Jesus whom he has sent. That's exactly what Paul wants most out of life. In Philippians 3, uh, he lists all his religious accomplishments, all his ministry accomplishments. He was a good, law-keeping, righteous, zealous Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He just wants to know Jesus. He wants to know Jesus in his death, in his sufferings, in his resurrection. He wants to know Jesus. So when we suffer hardships, like Paul does and talks about in Philippians, um, especially the pain of relationships when other people sin against us, especially brothers and sisters in the church, God isn't just teaching us lessons or maturing us in some abstract sense. When we suffer hardships, God is granting us the privilege of knowing Jesus, who suffered all hardships. God is arranging for us to be able to relate to Jesus. It's not just that Jesus can relate to us. God is giving us the privilege of relating to him. He's giving us the privilege of 
knowing what it's like for Jesus to be who he is. The privilege of knowing what it's like for him to be God in the flesh. So when we suffer loss or grief or betrayal or death, it is an opportunity to know Jesus more intimately because he's suffered all these things and he's meeting us in those places. In fact, there's no true knowledge of Jesus apart from knowing him in his sufferings. He's Jesus Christ crucified that Paul wants to know. And if we're truly to know him intimately, then God will make us familiar with sufferings like his. That's how you get to know him. And that's the gift of eternal life. That's the privilege of eternal life. By the amazing grace of God, it's true that we won't only know him in his sufferings and in our sufferings, but also in the joy of his resurrection and in the glory of his uh, ascension to God's right hand. We'll know him in all these things, but the main point is knowing Jesus. And we can know him everywhere, in everything. It's the main point of everything in our life as Christians in the church, and anything done apart from knowing Jesus is counted as loss. We're not just here to be good, friendly people who help others. The whole purpose of our life is to know God, to know Jesus, and to catch other, other people up in knowing Jesus as well. So, as Hosea said, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, no one has ever plumbed the depths of these words spoken by your Son in prayer to you. Uh, prayer for our sake, prayer on our behalf. We pray that you would help us to dive as deeply as possible into the glorious truth of these words. Help us not only to understand your gift of eternal life, but actually to live this blessed life of knowing you and knowing your son, Jesus. Help us to receive every moment as a gift, as an opportunity for relating to you, especially in our life together and in our ministry together as your people in the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.